our brains are primed to see certain things, uh, to think a certain way, and when you begin to break those patterns, then you're training your brain. Hey folks, this is Mark Devine with the Unbeatable Mind Podcast. Welcome back. I hope you're doing well. This week I have a solo cast for you, continuing the series on the way of the seal. Today we'll dig into principle number seven, build your intuition. Before I get started, let me um, address the Burpees for Vets challenge that we're working on. I've pledged a team or I've challenged, I should say, a team to do 22 million burpees together with me. Each of us will do our part. I've committed to 100,000. I am donating 10 cents a burpee. You can choose whatever number of burpees that you think you can accomplish or you'd like to contribute and whatever donation amount or go out and get some pledges. All of the information can be found at burpeesforvets.com. And of course, we're doing this to support veterans who are suffering with post-traumatic stress. So we're going to suffer a little for them, for their service and their suffering, intending to raise a minimum of $250,000. More importantly, raise awareness and help vets directly through an immersion program. I will teach them how to get control back of their nervous system through breath control and movement with breath and developing a new ethos and vision for their future with a team and then follow on support with a Courage Foundation coach who is certified in the principles. So all of that is under development. You can find out more at purposeforvet.com or feedcourage.org, which is the Courage Foundation. Super stoked about that. We're already um, about 7 million burpees committed and uh, we've raised over $125,000 for this initiative. This is has no end. We're not going to stop it until we hit our 22 million burpees. If we blow past that, maybe we'll make it 100 million burpees. This is a big enough cause. It's audacious, but you know, 22 vets a day are committing suicide. That is unsat. we got to do our part. Thanks for your support with that. Also, um, the, one of the reasons I kicked off this solo cast series on the way of the seal is that I had the privilege of updating the book and releasing a fifth anniversary edition that comes out on Memorial Day. You can learn more about that at wayoftheseal.com and pre-order it and get some cool bonuses, you know, like a workbook in PDF form and whatnot. And we'll have a releasing some tools that will be available at the unbuildmind.com slash WS URL. That's not live yet, but it will be soon. And um, I've added two new chapters, one on leading in VUCA and one on building elite teams. Both of those I've read for this solo cast uh, in the past, so you can search for those. And um, in the future, the next uh, solo cast I do, I'll actually be doing a riff on the elite teams, uh, which is the last chapter of the book. Okay, so without much further ado, let's dig into principle number seven, build your intuition. You know, so far with this book, uh, we've covered a lot of territory. You know, this this is the, you know, getting toward the end. We started the way of the seal by talking about establishing your set point, developing a stand, you know, knowing where you're going in your life with your purpose, and then developing radical front sight focus, preparing your mind to win in your mind, simplifying the battlefield and knowing your mission. And then, you know, like the seals bulletproof that mission by only selecting the highest value targets exploring all options for how you're going to dominate those targets, communicating the mission up, down, and sideways, and all around visually and emotionally, and dirt diving the mission before you go execute. Think about all these tools which 
you know, are, are critical for warriors to get their job done, how important they are for leaders of all stripes uh, and all levels to operate in today's business world. That's leading in that volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous environments that we find ourselves today. And then in principle four, I talked about doing today what others won't so you can do tomorrow what others can't. That's finding your 20X factor and learning to embrace the suck with a smile. Now, that is a skill, right? So it's, you're always going to have challenges in your life. You're always going to have shitty and sucky things. How do you build resiliency so you actually look forward to them because you know that they're going to make you stronger, wiser? And through that, you're going to build what we call the three Ds, discipline, drive, and determination. Then in principle five, a meaty chapter on forging mental toughness. And this is all about arousal control, controlling that response, attention control, controlling where you put your attention and developing sustained concentration, emotional resiliency, and how to effectively set a goal and visualize it. Super important. And then principle six, getting closer to where we are today, is breaking things. Now now we're talking about getting out in the field and operating. Everything up to this point has been about internal skills, the vertical development of the leader, becoming more effective, more authentic, more able to win in your mind before you step foot in the battlefield. Now, with principles six, seven, and eight, we're getting into execution, 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 but doing it in the way of the seal. So principle six, break things is how do you apply like total, total commitment, burn your boats type commitment, the type of commitment that leads to great courage and ultimately the competence and confidence to get things done and get it done at a high level. So we, we fail forward fast. We don't care about those obstacles. Um, we just go right over them, around them. We have contingency plans. We move forward. We know that failure is not an option. And we learn to innovate and adapt quickly. Awesome. So now, as you execute and you're learning to break things and, and be you know, just different and uncommon with your execution skills, we want you to learn to be more intuitive. And so intuition is a skill, I believe, that can be developed. Every one of us has it. Uh, in some degree, but a lot of times we ignore it or we deny it. So what I'm saying here now in this principle is time for us to pay attention to our intuition. Spec ops guys, SEALs, Rangers, um, MARSOC, you know, PJs, Green Berets, and other foreign services and warriors of all stripes and, you know, over the years have really relied on intuition and awareness development, sensory development to uh, tap into, you know, a more expansive field of wisdom. And we need to um, do that now as leaders in the business world, and it can be trained, right? So we're going to dig into that. And then I'm going to talk in this podcast about principle eight also, which is get offensive mindset, developing unwavering confidence so that you can move with velocity and agility and show up in unexpected ways. I'm going to always be scanning for threats and for opportunities. All right. And when we're done, the next, the final um, podcast of this series, we'll talk about training the way of the SEAL and um, building elite teams. Now, I mentioned, you know, military spec ops and even the intelligence communities have been uh, interested in intuition for a long time. It's gone in and out of favor, you know, at a strategic level, but there was a while where uh, we had a program called Trojan Horse going on where, you know, the Trojan Horse program brought SEALs and Green Berets together and they studied Aikido alongside their military skills. And, you know, so Aikido included meditation and then, of course, mindful movement with that martial art, which is, a, you know, more of a defensive art. So it was a kind of an experiment. And 
they were able to demonstrate after six months of training that the Warriors had developed, you know, uh, an uncanny level of intuition around their environment. They were able to make more, um, better, I should say, quick decisions, you know, so their biases were penetrated. You could say um, they were more confident. You know, there was a lot of subjective measures that they tested that just showed that, you know, that, that type of training, the training we do with Unbeatable Mind really, really works. And um, first they killed that program because it, it wasn't really scalable, but it was a really interesting, you know, harbinger of what was to come with how we're training now. And then there was this program called Stargate. This is really fascinating. Stargate was all about remote viewing, which is a, you know, a particular skill that you could kind of throw into this category of, of deeper intuition or transrational skills. So remote viewing, you know, the, I guess the, you know, the modern term for that or the new age term for that would be astral travel, which I think is kind of a silly term. Um, so we'll just set that aside. But I think, you know, if, if you come from that tradition or you understand that term, it's, it's very similar. So what we're saying is that the, um, the operators, so a bunch of SEALs and other CIA agents were involved. This, and also some major universities. They um, would have the intuitive warrior visualize a geolocation, a grid location. You know, they give them a grid. This operator had never been to this place. Uh, it's in a foreign country, you know, so they were actually targeting, you know, like Soviet installations and submarine pens and stuff like that. But they would give them this grid and just basically they would have the operator meditate and visualize, you know, that location, you know, literally, you know, at a quantum level, they'd put their consciousness at that location. Again, no pictures, never been there before, simply a consciousness exercise. And what would happen is imagery would start to appear to the operators. And the imagery sometimes was very precise where they could draw like specific images, you know, uh, like in one case they drew the submarine pen and were able to describe some of the technology that was being developed. And, you know, of course the agency at the time was like, we, they had none of this information and they doubted it. They said, this can't be true. This is fantasy. You're making this shit up. The, the Soviets do not have this level of, you know, anti-cavitation, you know, quiet submarine technology. And sure enough, you know, five years later, satellite imagery picks up a submarine being rolled out of the pen that had exactly that technology. So this stuff works. It's fascinating. The operators would pick up images, like I said, that are specific. Sometimes they would pick up images of things that hadn't happened yet <laughs> and also things that had happened in the past. One really uh, interesting study done by a major university had uh, operators visualize a geolocation in the United States. And they got three different responses. One of them, no, two, two responses, sorry. One of them saw like a, a rundown gas station and just desert. And that turned out to be what was at this location today or when they did the test. And then another group actually saw army barracks and equipment and stuff. And that was because that location was used as a World War I training base. Fascinating, huh? Uh, so what that tells us is that your intuition is is non-local and non-linear. How cool. Non-local, non-linear. And that that's supported by quantum physics and and you know quark theory and string theory and all this stuff that we're learning. And you know, Dr. Hawkins, uh, who just recently passed away, 
Dr. Hawkins was a big uh, advocate of quantum physics and um, multiverse theory. You know, that said things, you know, there's things that we just can't see in our, you know, three-dimensional world, right? Four-dimensional if you include time. So there's more than one dimension and your intuition can cross those, those boundaries because it's happening at a, you know, your consciousness is energy and energy is non-linear, non-local. And um, so I wanted to kind of start with that because I've had experience with this too. You know, I was in the, as you know, I was in the SEALs for 20 years and I had really interesting experiences around intuition. And so do a lot of my teammates. And so you've read some of their books and they talk about it. So my friend wrote a book called The Intuitive Warrior. And um, The Intuitive Warrior, in this book, you know, he describes being in Iraq and visualizing, um, well, picking up, in, you know, picking up intuitive insights about bombs that were being placed and, you know, in, in kind of in the root of where he was going. So, um, you know, Mike Jaco was his name. So Mike took this seriously. He was a lifetime martial artist. He, you know, he led my training, um, my 300 hour training with Jerry Peterson and scars where we, where we literally fought for 10 hours a day for 30 days straight. There were about 20 of us in that program. And, you know, by the end of that program, we were just, you know, operating at an instinctual, intuitive level in these fights. And we were getting, you know, getting into hundreds of fights a day and winning at least half of them. And it had this profound effect to kind of open up our intuitive skills. And so he's trained that way for many years. And and he would pick up these signals and said, okay, you know, there's this bomb being placed in the road ahead of us. I, I just feel it. I know it. And so he would, you know, tell his his crew and they would take a different route. And later on they would go check and ask someone to go, you know, look at the area or whatever. And sure enough, there was either a bomb that had gone off or they were able to find it. And so he started to really trust his intuition. Now he even went further and said he used to visualize and send light energy toward, you know, the, the insurgent operatives who were planning those bombs and that he thinks that had an effect. Now that's maybe a little bit beyond um, what I think is possible, at least in this temporal realm, but that was his experience. So I just relaying you here. So that's fascinating. Um, there's one example. The Navy started a study a, a few years ago on intuition because they were getting so many reports from EOD and spec ops guys about just getting that spidey sense uh, about some danger ahead. And they would, you know, they would stop. And I remember my Vietnam vet SEAL chief, Mike Martin, telling us the same basic story about the Vietnam War, where they, they were so in intently in tune with their environment and they were operating in such, you know, high risk and with such a heightened state of awareness where the stakes are so high and all their operations were at night and totally silent that they would literally just pick up this information. And, you know, booby traps were the big thing in Vietnam. So, you know, Mike would be the point man and the point man would be like walking along and he would just sense that there's something there and he put his hand up and he kneeled down and sure enough, there's this little tiny filament, you know, running across the trail that you can't see with a naked eye, but he could feel it. That's amazing. That's information. Imagine if you were a business leader or corporate CEO or entrepreneur, and you had that level of intuition about the marketplace and about what your competitors were up to and about your own decision-making. 
It's really valuable. Hey folks, Mark here. Listen up, I've got a secret weapon for you to make your working out and training more efficient and to get better results and faster. It's called the Halo Sport, and I love this tool. Simply put, training with a Halo Sport allows you to develop your muscle memory faster. The headset applies electrostimulation to your brain's motor cortex to induce a temporary state of hyperlearning. How cool is that? That means you're going to get better results faster from anything that you do where you need to learn by moving, such as your Silfit Wad, martial arts training, yoga, Tai Chi, or even running. Now, I interviewed Halo's CEO, Dr. Daniel Chow, a while back, and I was really impressed by his team and this underlying technology, the science of transcranial direct current stimulation, or TDCS, which has over 15 years of scientific and military research behind it. I now personally use Halo Sport for many of my high-intensity wads and when I do my Tai Chi training where I'm trying to learn some new form. When I train my movements with the Halo Sport, I do learn faster and I get more precision and I feel I can perform more aggressively. Halo Sport's already being used extensively in the military special operations communities. And from my SEAL friends, I've heard that they get great results. It's also used by many pro athletes, Olympians, and thousands of lifelong athletes just like you and I. So in my mind, Halo Sport is the ideal training tool for those like you who want to exceed your training goals. To learn more about the Halo Sport, go to haloneuro.com. That's H-A-L-O. N-E-U-R-O.com. And you can use the code Unbeatable Mind, all one word, Unbeatable Mind at checkout to get this awesome product for $475, which is $275 off of the retail price. Again, haloneuro.com. Use the code Unbeatable Mind. You won't be disappointed. This is a great tool. All right, let's get back to the show. Hoo ya. Um, I did some training once um, with uh, Tom Brown, who was inspired and trained by an Apache scout. And, and he had us um, do this really cool meditation and visualization exercise. And we practiced this for several days. But in this one particular version of it, we meditated and then visualized. Or first, I'm sorry, back up. First, we went out into the wilderness. This was up in... Um, in Santa Cruz Mountains. We went out in the wilderness and we found a trail, like a deer trail. And we were instructed not to go up and everyone was on their own. So, you know, I wasn't with a bunch of other people. I was on my own, even though there were a lot of other people, you know, in this training, but I went off on my own. I found this deer trail that kind of went up a hill and around a corner, but I, I didn't walk up it. That was our instruction. Don't walk up it. Just see the beginning of it and then come back to the training hall. And then when we come back to the training hall, we went through this meditation and then we visualized ourselves walking up this trail, which is very similar to remote viewing where the remote viewer would visualize themselves at a grid point. They've never been up. Now I only had imagery for the first, you know, 20 feet of this trail. And then after that, it was just pure, you could call it imagination. But so I imagined myself walking up this trail and around the bend and and I was getting some imagery from it. And then, you know, I wasn't thinking too much of it. And all of a sudden I saw this beautiful glowing kind of golden look like a cathedral in the middle of the woods. And I was like, what the heck? And then everything went black and I kind of jolted out of the 
meditation. I was like, holy cow. I, I thought I'd kind of screwed up. I'm like, there's no way there's a cathedral in there. What's, you know, what is that all about? And um, then we were instructed to go back out into the woods and walk up that trail and to see what you saw and to see if there was any relationship to the imagery. And so I walked up the trail and, you know, around the bend, and, you know, I'm looking for anything that could bounce in, you know, could connect to the imagery. And I walked around another bend and suddenly, you know, I stopped in my tracks and in front of me was this massive oak tree that was, was clearly alive until recently. And it must've been struck by lightning, which had stripped it of its bark. And the afternoon sun was coming through the trees and it lighting upon this massive tree and making it glow. Right. And it looked like, you know, right when I saw it in that moment, like a, this cathedral, this natural cathedral in the woods. On the other side of that tree was a drop off. So the trail ended. <laughs> and so ironically, or maybe not ironically, but intuitively, I, I saw what was there. But, I, you know, imagery doesn't, you know, pick up the identical image often, you know. Like in the remote viewing that some people are actually able to see and describe submarine, but sometimes they picked up imagery that was metaphorical or cartoon-like and they had to translate it, you know? So that's what happened in this case. It was a metaphor. You know, my mind couldn't imagine a tree like this, so it translated into, a, you know, something that was relatable to me. And that was the, you know, a church temple. But then because the trail that I was supposed to walk on ended and there was this drop off. That's why I, I came out of the, uh, the uh, visualization so suddenly because, you know, I literally, my consciousness would have like fallen off the trail. Fascinating stuff. And it gave me a lot of um, confidence that this type of training is really important. One of the experiences I had in the SEALs was powerful too. I, mean, I had so many, but this one was really interesting. And I describe it in the book here. Basically everything I'm talking about, by the way, is described in the book, the way the SEALs. So, uh, or not everything, but a lot of it. But I'm just going into a lot more detail here. So one um, cold morning, I was at Camp Pendleton with my platoon. And we were doing some shooting training, you know. And we always, with the SEALs, start out with the basics, you know. So crawl, walk, run. And with shooting, it's no different. And so we started out with a 25-yard you know, yard pistol shoot. And then we were going to take it up to, you know, 100 yards. And then start m with moving targets and running and gunning and that kind of thing kill house and all that. So we start, this is just the very beginning. I mean, it was a bitterly cold morning and I just woken up and I had a cup of coffee and I was going to be the first one on a range, you know, and when the seals do their shoot training with a platoon, I mean, it's, it's intense, but casual, meaning like, it's not like you'd imagine a big, there's not a lot of military protocol, you know, guys screaming at you or then it's nothing like that. It's like, we, you know, walk to the range, but you know, we got to have the range master cleared hot and everyone's very, very aware of safety and we're all highly trained. And so, but so I'm casually walking to the range. I'm about ready to, you know, go up there with a few of uh, the guys who are going to, you know, kick this thing off. And, and all of a sudden I felt as if someone put a hand on my shoulder and whispered loudly into my ear, stop. And because I had learned to pay attention to this stuff through my meditation practices, um, you know, earlier before I got in the SEALs and then, you know, through my SEAL training, I did just that. I literally stopped in my tracks. I'm like, hmm, what the heck? 
And as soon as I did that, I heard a bullet, a nine millimeter weapon, a Sig Sauer light off behind me, you know, about 150 to 100 yards behind me. And the bullet came literally like a fraction of an inch from hitting me in the back of the head. I could feel the wind as it whipped by my right ear. And it was right in the path of that next step. So if I'd taken that next step, that bullet would have gone right in the back of my head. And I couldn't believe it. You know, I was like, holy crap. I turned around and I saw my friend, Chris, uh, you know, holding the weapon. Now he had an accidental discharge. You know, he wasn't deliberately trying to kill me. I don't think so, at least. But, um, you know, because his eyes were wide. He was like, oh, man, I'm sorry, Cy. That was my nickname in the SEALs. And I'm like, wow, thank goodness for intuition. Um, so how do we train, you know, how do we, how do we expand our awareness so that we can pick up this energy? And I want to talk a little bit about that. Cause I think, like I said, it can be trained. So in the seals, we would, um, we talk about situational awareness and situational awareness, you know, has two elements to it. You know, the one that the seals really focused on was the external. So we would do some drills to, expand our awareness. And what we're really saying is how do we take in more information or how do we at least understand and make sense of all the information that we take in? I mean, there's literally, you know, enormous, enormous amount of information that's flooding into your body and you're feeling it. Um, You're feeling it at a heart level. You're feeling it at a nervous system level. You're feeling it with your skin, your hands, your feet. Um, But we mostly pay attention to what we see and hear. And so, you know, the SEALs would focus on that. And so we would pay great attention and, and do uh, skills like the Kim game. Now, the Kim game is keep in memory game. And at first sight, you think, okay, this is a way to enhance your memory of what you see. And that is true. But through the training of that, you're expanding your capacity to notice things, to see patterns, to notice details. And, and so we always do this training to you know, to pay attention to details because, as you know, devil's in the details or the opportunity, the solution is in the details. If you don't pay attention to those details and get those right, then it doesn't matter. You're going to miss the forest for the trees. So the Kim game had us, you know, the instructors would take um, or gather, you know, 20 or 30 items and they're just random items. It could be a compass and a watch and, you know, a pen and water bottle, you know, but small stuff that you could fit onto, you know, put on the ground and you can put a blanket or a tarp over. And so they would do that. And then you'd, you know, they say, okay, one at a time or in pairs, they would, you bring you over and then they would take the cover off and you had 60 seconds to memorize everything. So the individual skill was to like figure out how do you memorize everything on this? And so there's some tactics for that, right? You can chunk it down into quarters, right? And you have the top left quadrant has these four items and the top right has these four and the top bottom right has these. If you're with a team or a butt swim buddy, your strategy is say, okay, you take the top half, I'll take the bottom half or, you know what I mean? You just break it up. Well, that's tactics and, you know, nothing wrong with that. That's smart. That's like taking a search grid and, and breaking up that grid into chunks so you can, you can share the wealth, so to speak. Well, what happens is, you know, the first time you do this, you're like, you maybe get like 60% or so. And then you do it again and you're like, wow. And all of a sudden you're getting like 80 or 90%. And maybe you do it a third time and you can remember everything. And then they'll have you do it again. And, and or, you know, you do this multiple times during a, a training uh, trip 
and you realize that not only you're remembering all the items, but now you're remembering the nuanced time, you know, the nuances of for each of those items, the details. So, you know, you, instead of just seeing a watch, now you realize, oh, wow, you know, that's a Timex and the time, you know, is, is 315 on the watch, you know, and it's got, it's got a leather band, right? A brown leather band. And the compass is pointing at 320 degrees and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So what you've done now is trained your mind to take in more information or to perceive more information that's been taken in and to recognize patterns and to recognize, you know, details. Another drill would be, um, this would be for the, you know, intelligence gathering is you drive a route and come back and, you know, write a report on what you saw. And then, um, you know, get pointed out or be, you know, you basically are told that you missed 90% of what was important. So then you go back out and you do it again and, and again and again. And pretty soon you're, you know, just seeing all this detail that you'd never saw before. Because we're primed, you know, our, our brains are primed to see certain things, uh, to think a certain way. And when you begin to um, break those patterns and to look for deeper things, then um, your brain, you know, you're training your brain. So you're training your brain in a way that's able to see different patterns in more detail, which then creates the experience of new insights, new pattern, you know, connecting, which is one of the forms of intuition, right? So in, I break intuition into like three major buckets. One is cognitive intuition, which is pattern recognition. This is a type of intuition that also occurs when you practice something for many, many years. And then all of a sudden, you know, it's just there for you. You don't have to think about it. You know, the outfielder running to catch the ball. I mean, you can, I don't even know if you can mathematically, you know, algorithmically solve that equation of a, a fly ball flying through the air and a runner running along the ground. And then the two intersecting with the ball hitting the glove. I mean, what, it's almost not even solvable problem. I mean, some of you might know if it is or isn't. I don't know, but it doesn't seem like it would be. There's just far too many variables. And yet the baseball player does it intuitively. And that's because he's practiced for thousands and thousands and thousands of hours. You know, Gladwell says 10,000 hours to mastery. I mean, it can be quicker, in my opinion, if you have the immersion and the intensity and the risk there. But it doesn't matter. My point here is that that's cognitive intuition they're a whole body intuition kind of, but it's, it's coming from practice of a skill, deep immersion of a skill. The second form of intuition is uh, the heart level intuition. And, I, and so I, I call the top level, the, the head level insight. I call the heart level actually intuitive because you're intuiting things, but it's empathic. It's energetic. There's enormous amount of information, uh, several hundred thousand magnitudes more of information is transferred via the heart and the external world than is via the mind. Think about that. So the mind has this big, you know, hulking cranium that, that basically blocks, you know, any information from getting in except through the eyeballs and through the ears and through the mouth and the nose. And, you know, your brain waves don't extend very far beyond your skull. But the heart, you know, it, not only is it really powerful – and have, you know, um, neurological processing capacity, but the energy field can extend far, far into the room and it takes in an enormous amount of information. So, you know, that feeling in your heart that, you know, someone's 
not doing well or, or, you know, you can feel that around cultures, environments, even you can feel it in countries when you're really in tune with your heart's rhythms and the information. So that's the second. And then the third I call instinct and that's your gut, your biome, you know, all the, all the little biome bugs in there, you know, have, uh, cause you to have, you know, gut feelings around things, um, at a, at a most basic level, those things are around survival and food and uh, sleep, you know, basic needs. And so, but there's a lot of information in there. And so if you're, you know, if you're cruising along on a trail and all of a sudden your, your gut or your biome picks up um, that there's a threat, then, you know, it's, it's basically going to tell you with an instinctual urge. And I think that's what happened when I felt that the word stop is like, okay, those, you know, my biome doesn't want to die. You know, my body doesn't want to die and it notices something or it, it, it get, picks up some information that um, is nonlinear and non-local. And then it tells me. And so I had the great fortune of being able to hear that. And, you know, I didn't hear the word stop. I felt it. The language of the intuition, the language of the belly is in instinctual urges and tugs and, contractions of your belly and you know gut feelings and the language of your heart is this it's very similar it's like a oh, contraction of the heart or an expansiveness of the heart that feeling of connection and love and and um you know openness or contraction and you know closing in and or dark energy that you feel from other people like oh you know you don't want to go anywhere near that that's that's the language of that. And then sometimes this shows up in our mind as an image because, you know, your mind's going to try to translate that. Your mind will translate emotional energy of the heart and it'll translate the instinctual energy of the belly and come up with imagery. And so you get this insight where you see something within your mind that you didn't necessarily know before. We call that direct perception where you're perceiving something directly and, uh, and so also it can be kind of a felt sense of knowingness, but you hear that internally as like a, um, internal, your internal voice or, um, you know, where they say that, listen to that quiet voice within, then it's kind of be like hearing, uh, something internally, the whispering of your soul or, or your in- intuitive self. It's powerful. And all this happens in the non-rational part of your mind. It's not your frontal cortex. It's not your left brain, you know, rational governor slash executive functioning mind, which is thinking and analyzing and planning and judging. This is happening more in either your right brain, midbrain, visual uh, cortex, um, even your limbic system. It's just a massive part of your brain that we've ignored because it just operates kind of automatically and we think, you know, in the West that the thinking mind is th- is it. And that's not true. Uh, and that's a big part of the whole way of the SEAL um, and my unbeatable mind training is that that's not true. So we want to we want to train to open up the whole mind, which then is going to be able to translate this, these intuitive signals and the instinctual signals and the insight into information that then you can use. So that data gets actually translated to information and that information becomes meaningful to us. And then we pull it into our uh, analy- analytical mind and we try to make sense of it and make a decision with that. But like I said, if you, if you sit there and try to analyze that 
signal that tells you to stop dead in your tracks, then guess what? You're dead because, you know, you're going to take that next step while you puzzle over it. So this information, you know, is meant to be acted upon spontaneously. Uh, the Japanese term shibumi comes to mind, which is effortless perfection. And you just act and the action is the right action. Super cool. Uh, but it does take effort. So, so training yourself to pay attention to details, take in more information. This is part of, you know, it takes time and effort, but it can be trained. Um, you know, you begin to recognize uh, concentric circles of patterns around you that, you know, you see things that other people don't see. And if you've ever been around a master, you know what I'm talking about. You know, whether it's a master martial artist or craftsman or or body worker or anything, any musical, you know, musician, they see and hear things that, you know, the average person don't because they tap into this deep intuitive um, skill. Now I know you appreciate some soreness brought on by getting busy with a bruising workout, but doesn't it suck when excessive soreness throws us off our game, causing us to back down on our effort or even erasing those hard won gains? That is why building recovery into our training plan is so important. Now, one way that I do that is with a simple-to-use recovery and healing tool called PowerDot. PowerDot is an electrical muscle stimulation device that forces type 2 muscle contractions, allowing you to increase muscle performance, speed up recovery, and also find a deeper mind-body connection. I've used complicated stim devices in the past, to heal from my back injuries, but those were clumsy devices and not very effective to use for everyday use. The PowerDot, however, is a game changer because of its simplicity and the control through a well-designed mobile app. It's portable and powerful, making it usable for daily recovery or as needed for excessive soreness and to ward off potential overtraining injuries. PowerDot puts professional-level physical therapy into your gritty hands saving valuable time and money. Now, the PowerDot team loves us at SealFit and Unbeatable Mind, and they have a generous offer for us. You can get 25% off the device when you go to PowerDot.com. That's P-O-W-E-R-D-O-T.com. And use the code UNBEATABLEMIND, all one word, UNBEATABLEMIND, at the checkout. So again, receive 25% off of one of my favorite tools for achieving increased muscle performance, and recovery by going to power.com and using that code UNBEALMIND. Hoo-yah. And next, I want to talk about sensory perception. So we can develop greater sensory perception by, um, in two ways, by closing off all of our senses, like in a sensory deprivation tank, what happens is because you've closed them off, you go deep within and you start to hear things and see things within. So this is where, you know, you develop greater self-awareness, very similar to meditation, but in meditation, you haven't necessarily closed all of your senses except for your eyes. But when you go in sensory deprivation, like with a float tank, or you literally put earplugs in, close your eyes and go into a dark room, you know, or into nature in super quiet setting where everything is shut off, then um, that helps you develop greater sensory awareness. Also, you can 
pay attention to the senses. So this is similar, but different concepts. So the way this would work is in a meditative process, let's say you sit down and do some box breathing for five minutes. Now, just pay attention to what you hear. And what, you know, what happens is when I talk about concentric rings a second ago, first you hear things that are close in, right? You might hear the bird chirping and um, the car outside or whatever. And so you listen to that and you're like, oh, that's interesting. And then ne next thing you know, you hear something that's a little bit further out, right? Maybe the plane flying by or something or construction in the distance. And then you hear something that's further out, right? And further out even again. Um, and so your, your capacity to hear begins to expand, so you're honing the senses. You do the same thing with smell and taste, like mindful eating is another great way. So just chewing your food really slowly, seeing if you can taste all the skills, like a, a you know, a wine taster tastes all these unique skills. But when you take, you know, you take a sip as an untrained individual, you don't really taste much except for, you know, the grapes and the alcohol. All right. Next in this chapter, I talk about uncovering your background of obviousness. So this is really fascinating. I have a whole lesson on emotional development in Unbeatable Mind where we talk about this background of obviousness or BOO, B-O-O. Background of obviousness is, is that field within you that says things are a certain way, right? It's, it's partly your beliefs, but also your biases, all the cognitive biases that Charlie Munger and, and, um, Others have talked about and now have been written about quite a bit recently. Um, I I introduced certain biases in this book um, in the next chapter. So I'm not going to go into, the, into this chapter. But, you know, the background obviousness, obviousness includes those biases, but also the emotional patterns that have dominated in your life. So these are patterns that develop pretty much in early childhood. They might even have some sort of, you know, karmic epigenetic uh, energy to them. If you believe that, you know, I certainly do that. You know, we br come into this life with certain energy um, based upon, you know, uh, our last go around, you know, and, or epigenetics, right. Say that, you know, the energy passed down through our genes. And if you activate those genes or if they're activated by our environment, then, you know, that shows up in some of our behavior and our choices in life. So, Understanding your boo is really starting to understand how all of this is affecting your thinking and your decision-making, right? Another, you know, real simple example of cultural boo is the language you speak. And so I speak English, so I think in English. And um, there's other, you know, the Japanese and the Chinese language have like really, really different structures, much longer time frames, not as linear one word can mean five different things and they have words for experiences that, you know, you literally need a paragraph to describe in English. You know, what, a great example of that is Kokoro. I use the word Kokoro for Kokoro camp and for our yoga training because it means heart, mind, whole mind, uh, merging your heart and mind in action, warrior spirit, right? It means all of those things together. And, you know, how do you, you know, they got one word for that, Kokoro. Super cool. And so because of that, the, this language, the language that you grew up with has, a, obviously it's also, you know, very powerful, but it has incredible limitations. It limits the way your mind thinks. Westerners think differently than Chinese. And we try to think, we, we, we assume that they think the same as us and they don't. And so you have to understand that. And as a way of the SEAL leader, you have to appreciate that, you know, 
that's not happening, right? You, 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 you have limitations because of your language. You have limitations and boo because of the family you were brought up with, the language that was used in the family, the words, the energy of those words. You know, one of the, my boo items was, you know, I grew up in a somewhat chaotic family and, you know, there's a lot of anger and explosiveness and stuff. And, you know, my dad and mom were doing the best they could and they're awesome people, but, you know, it was, that was the fact. That was the way things were. And so I had to overcome my boo of that energy of, you know, kind of sarcasm and negative dialogue and, and stuff like that. Anyway, so this is something that takes a, a lot of work. I talk about how you can use your mind gym to begin to analyze your boo, as well as um, emotional development and therapy and EMDR. These are all the tools that you can use to you know, to discuss or to, to get at your background of obviousness. So you can, you know, first identify what patterns are guiding your behavior in your life and making, you know, dis- good decisions and bad decisions. Then you can compare those to the common biases that have been studied and brought out, like confirmation bias and negativity bias and groupthink bias and all that kind of stuff and see, okay, yeah, I, I kind of fall prey to these or maybe some of your upbringing, your boo makes you immune to some of those. At any rate, um, if you don't analyze it, then you're going to fall prey to it. And so you want to uncover that background of obviousness to, to open up to your inner wisdom. All right, folks, at the end of the chapter, I have some great exercises on clearing boo and awakening that intuition. And that's that for principle seven. So we're going to move on to principle eight. And since I took a long time with this, I'm thinking this will probably be broken out into a separate podcast, but at any rate, if we don't do that, then um, we're going to get into chapter eight, think offense all the time. Booyah. Lock it low, boys. Time to explode, boys. Make sure you get home, boys. They got your back, the pride of the fleets, the bright swinging frogmen. 